Chapter Seventeen of Childhood by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Charles James Hogarth, eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Seventeen: The Princess Kornikoff. Yes, show her in," said Grandmamma, settling herself as far back in her armchair as possible the princess was a woman of about forty-five small and delicate with a shrivelled skin and disagreeable greyish-green eyes the expression of which contradicted the unnaturally suave look of the rest of her face underneath her velvet bonnet adorned with an ostrich feather was visible some reddish hair while against the unhealthy colour of her skin her eyebrows and eyelashes looked even lighter and redder than they would otherwise have done yet for all that her animated movements small hands and peculiarly dry features communicated something aristocratic and energetic to her general appearance she talked a great deal and to judge from her eloquence belonged to that class of persons who always speak as though someone were contradicting them even though no one else may be saying a word first she would raise her voice then lower it and then take on a fresh access of vivacity as she looked at the persons present but not participating in the conversation with an air of endeavouring to draw them into it although the princess kissed grandmamma's hand and repeatedly called her my good aunt i could see that grandmamma did not care much about her for she kept raising her eyebrows in a peculiar way while listening to the princess's excuse why prince mikhail had been prevented from calling and congratulating grandmamma as he would like so much to have done at length however she answered the princess's french with russian and with a sharp accentuation of certain words i am much obliged to you for your kindness she said as for prince mikhail's absence pray do not mention it he has so much else to do besides what pleasure could he find in coming to see an old woman like me then without allowing the princess time to reply she went on how are your children my dear well thank god aunt they grow and do their lessons and play particularly my eldest one etienne who is so wild that it is almost impossible to keep him in order still he is a clever and promising boy would you believe it cousin this last to papa since grandmamma altogether uninterested in the princess's children had turned to us taken my verses out from beneath the presentation box and unfolded them again would you believe it but one day not long ago in leaning over towards papa the princess related something or other with great vivacity then her tale concluded she laughed and with a questioning look at papa went on what a boy cousin he ought to have been whipped but the trick was so spirited and amusing that i let him off then the princess looked at grandmamma and laughed again ah so you whip your children do you said grandmamma with a significant lift of her eyebrows and laying a peculiar stress on the word whip alas my good aunt replied the princess in a sort of tolerant tone and with another glance at papa i know your views on the subject but must beg to be allowed to differ with them however much i have thought over and read and talked about the matter i have always been forced to come to the conclusion that children must be ruled through fear to make something of a child you must make it fear something is it not so cousin and what pray do children fear so much as a rod as she spoke she seemed to look inquiringly at Woloja and myself and i confess that i did not feel altogether comfortable 
whatever you may say she went on a boy of twelve or even of fourteen is still a child and should be whipped as such but with girls perhaps it is another matter how lucky it is that i am not her son i thought to myself oh very well said grandmamma holding up my verses and replacing them beneath the box as though after that exposition of views the princess was unworthy of the honour of listening to such a production very well my dear she repeated but please tell me how in return you can look for any delicate sensibility from your children evidently grandmamma thought this argument unanswerable for she cut the subject short by adding however it is a point on which people must follow their own opinions the princess did not choose to reply but smiled condescendingly and as though out of indulgence to the strange prejudices of a person whom she only pretended to revere oh by the way pray introduce me to your young people she went on presently as she threw us another gracious smile thereupon we rose and stood looking at the princess without in the least knowing what we ought to do to show that we were being introduced kiss the princess's hand said papa well i hope you will love your old aunt she said to volodya kissing his hair even though we are not near relatives but i value friendship far more than i do degrees of relationship she added to grandmamma who nevertheless remained hostile and replied eh my dear is that what they think of relationships nowadays here is my man of the world put in papa indicating volodya and here is my poet he added as i kissed the small dry hand of the princess with a vivid picture in my mind of that same hand holding a rod and applying it vigorously which one is the poet asked princess this little one replied papa smiling the one with the tuft of hair on his topknot why need he bother about my tuft i thought to myself as i retired into a corner is there nothing else for him to talk about i had strange ideas on manly beauty i considered karl ivanitch one of the handsomest men in the world and myself so ugly that i had no need to deceive myself on that point therefore any remark on the subject of my exterior offended me extremely i well remember how one day after luncheon i was then six years of age the talk fell upon my personal appearance and how mamma tried to find good features in my face and said that i had clever eyes and a charming smile how nevertheless when papa had examined me and proved the contrary she was obliged to confess that i was ugly and how when the meal was over and i went to pay her my respects she said as she patted my cheek you know nikolinka nobody will ever love you for your face alone so you must try all the more to be a good and clever boy although these words of hers confirmed in me my conviction that i was not handsome they also confirmed in me an ambition to be just such a boy as she had indicated yet i had my moments of despair at my ugliness for i thought that no human being with such a large nose such thick lips and such small grey eyes as mine could ever hope to attain happiness on this earth i used to ask god to perform a miracle by changing me into a beauty and would have given all that i possessed or ever hoped to possess to have a handsome face end of chapter seventeen recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter eighteen of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter eighteen
prince ivan ivanovitch when the princess had heard my verses and overwhelmed the writer of them with praise grandmamma softened to her a little she began to address her in french and to cease calling her my dear likewise she invited her to return that evening with her children this invitation having been accepted the princess took her leave after that so many other callers came to congratulate grandmamma that the courtyard was crowded all day long with carriages good morning my dear cousin was the greeting of one guest in particular as he entered the room and kissed grandmamma's hand he was a man of seventy with a stately figure clad in a military uniform and adorned with large epaulettes an embroidered collar and a white cross round the neck his face with its quiet and open expression as well as the simplicity and ease of his manners greatly pleased me for in spite of the thin half-circle of hair which was all that was now left to him and the want of teeth disclosed by the set of his upper lip his face was a remarkably handsome one thanks to his fine character handsome exterior remarkable valour influential relatives and above all good fortune prince ivan ivanovitch had early made himself a career as that career progressed his ambition had met with a success which left nothing more to be sought for in that direction from his earliest youth upward he had prepared himself to fill the exalted station in the world to which fate actually called him later wherefore although in his prosperous life as in the lives of all there had been failures misfortunes and cares he had never lost his quietness of character his elevated tone of thought or his peculiarly moral religious bent of mind consequently though he had won the universal esteem of his fellows he had done so less through his important position than through his perseverance and integrity while not of specially distinguished intellect the eminence of his station whence he could afford to look down upon all petty questions had caused him to adopt high points of view though in reality he was kind and sympathetic in manner he appeared cold and haughty probably for the reason that he had forever to be on his guard against the endless claims and petitions of people who wished to profit through his influence yet even then his coldness was mitigated by the polite condescension of a man well accustomed to move in the highest circles of society well educated his culture was that of a youth of the end of the last century he had read everything whether philosophy or belles lettres which that age had produced in france and loved to quote from racine corneille boyau moliere montaigne and fenelon likewise he had gleaned much history from segur and much of the old classics from french translations of them but for mathematics natural philosophy or contemporary literature he cared nothing whatever however he knew how to be silent in conversation as well as when to make general remarks on authors whom he had never read such as goethe schiller and byron moreover despite his exclusively french education he was simple in speech and hated originality which he called the mark of an untutored nature wherever he lived society was a necessity to him and both in moscow and the country he had his reception days on which practically all the town called upon him an introduction from him was a passport to every drawing-room few young and pretty ladies in society objected to offering him their rosy cheeks for a paternal salute and people even in the highest positions felt flattered by invitations to his parties the prince had few friends left now like grandmamma that is to say few friends who were of the same standing as himself 
who had had the same sort of education and who saw things from the same point of view wherefore he greatly valued his intimate long-standing friendship with her and always showed her the highest respect i hardly dared to look at the prince since the honour paid him on all sides the huge epaulettes the peculiar pleasure with which grandmamma received him and the fact that he alone seemed in no way afraid of her but addressed her with perfect freedom even being so daring as to call her cousin awakened in me a feeling of reverence for his person almost equal to that which i felt for grandmamma herself on being shown my verses he called me to his side and said who knows my cousin but that he may prove to be a second derjavine nevertheless he pinched my cheek so hard that i was only prevented from crying by the thought that it must be meant for a caress gradually the other guests dispersed and with them papa and volodya thus only grandmamma the prince and myself were left in the drawing-room why has our dear natalia nikolaevna not come to-day asked the prince after a silence ah my friend replied grandmamma lowering her voice and laying a hand upon the sleeve of his uniform she would certainly have come if she had been at liberty to do what she likes she wrote to me that peter had proposed bringing her with him to town but that she had refused since their income had not been good this year and she could see no real reason why the whole family need come to moscow seeing that luboshka was as yet very young and that the boys were living with me a fact she said which made her feel as safe about them as though she had been living with them herself true it is good for the boys to be here went on grandmamma yet in a tone which showed clearly that she did not think it was so very good since it was more than time that they should be sent to moscow to study as well as to learn how to comport themselves in society what sort of an education could they have got in the country the eldest boy will soon be thirteen and the second one eleven as yet my cousin they are quite untaught and do not know even how to enter a room nevertheless said the prince i cannot understand these complaints of ruined fortunes he has a very handsome income and natalia has charabovska where we used to act plays in which i know as well as i do my own hand it is a splendid property and ought to bring in an excellent return well said grandmamma with a sad expression on her face i do not mind telling you as my most intimate friend that all this seems to me a mere pretext on his part for living alone for strolling about from club to club for attending dinner parties and for resorting to well who knows what she suspects nothing you know her angelic sweetness and her implicit trust of him in everything he had only to tell her that the children must go to moscow and that she must be left behind in the country with a stupid governess for company for her to believe him i almost think that if he were to say that the children must be whipped just as the princess barbara whips hers she would believe even that and grandmamma leant back in her armchair with an expression of contempt then after a moment of silence during which she took her handkerchief out of her pocket to wipe away a few tears which had stolen down her cheeks she went on yes my friend i often think that he cannot value and understand her properly and that for all her goodness and love of him and her endeavours to conceal her grief which however as i know only too well exists she cannot really be happy with him mark my words if he does not here grandmamma buried her face in the handkerchief ah my dear old friend said the prince reproachfully i think you are unreasonable why grieve and weep over imagined evils that is not right 
i have known him a long time and feel sure that he is an attentive kind and excellent husband as well as which is the chief thing of all a perfectly honourable man at this point having been an involuntary auditor of a conversation not meant for my ears i stole on tiptoe out of the room in a state of great distress end of chapter eighteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter nineteen of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter nineteen the evens volodya volodya the evens are just coming i shouted on seeing from the window three boys in blue overcoats and followed by a young tutor advancing along the pavement opposite our house the evens were related to us and of about the same age as ourselves we had made their acquaintance soon after our arrival in moscow the second brother seriosha had dark curly hair a turned-up strongly pronounced nose very bright red lips which never being quite shut showed a row of white teeth beautiful dark blue eyes and an uncommonly bold expression of face he never smiled but was either wholly serious or laughing a clear merry agreeable laugh his striking good looks had captivated me from the first and i felt an irresistible attraction towards him only to see him filled me with pleasure and at one time my whole mental faculties used to be concentrated in the wish that i might do so if three or four days passed without my seeing him i felt listless and ready to cry awake or asleep i was forever dreaming of him on going to bed i used to see him in my dreams and when i had shut my eyes and called up a picture of him i hugged the vision as my choicest delight so much store did i set upon this feeling for my friend that i never mentioned it to any one nevertheless it must have annoyed him to see my admiring eyes constantly fixed upon him or else he must have felt no reciprocal attraction for he always preferred to play and talk with volodya still even with that i felt satisfied and wished and asked for nothing better than to be ready at any time to make any sacrifice for him likewise over and above the strange fascination which he exercised upon me i always felt another sensation namely a dread of making him angry of offending him of displeasing him was this because his face bore such a haughty expression or because i despising my own exterior overrated the beautiful in others or lastly and most probably because it is a common sign of affection at all events i felt as much fear of him as i did love the first time that he spoke to me i was so overwhelmed with sudden happiness that i turned pale then red and could not utter a word he had an ugly habit of blinking when considering anything seriously as well as of twitching his nose and eyebrows consequently every one thought that this habit marred his face yet i thought it such a nice one that i involuntarily adopted it for myself until a few days after i had made his acquaintance grandmamma suddenly asked me whether my eyes were hurting me since i was winking like an owl never a word of affection passed between us yet he felt his power over me and unconsciously but tyrannically exercised it in all our childish intercourse 
i used to long to tell him all that was in my heart yet was too much afraid of him to be frank in any way and while submitting myself to his will tried to appear merely careless and indifferent although at times his influence seemed irksome and intolerable to throw it off was beyond my strength i often think with regret of that fresh beautiful feeling of boundless disinterested love which came to an end without having ever found self-expression or return it is strange how when a child i always longed to be like grown-up people and yet how i have often longed since childhood's days for those days to come back to me many times in my relations with seriosha this wish to resemble grown-up people put a rude check upon the love that was waiting to expand and made me repress it not only was i afraid of kissing him or of taking his hand and saying how glad i was to see him but i even dreaded calling him seriosha and always said sergius as everyone else did in our house any expression of affection would have seemed like evidence of childishness and any one who indulged in it a baby not having yet passed through those bitter experiences which enforce upon older years circumspection and coldness i deprived myself of the pure delight of a fresh childish instinct for the absurd purpose of trying to resemble grown-up people i met the evens in the anteroom welcomed them and then ran to tell grandmamma of their arrival with an expression as happy as though she were certain to be equally delighted then never taking my eyes off seriosha i conducted the visitors to the drawing-room and eagerly followed every movement of my favourite when grandmamma spoke too and fixed her penetrating glance upon him i experienced that mingled sensation of pride and solicitude which an artist might feel when waiting for revered lips to pronounce a judgment upon his work with grandmamma's permission the evens young tutor herr frost accompanied us into the little back garden where he seated himself upon a bench arranged his legs in a tasteful attitude rested his brass-knobbed cane between them lighted a cigar and assumed the air of a man well pleased with himself he was a german but of a very different sort to our good karl ivanitch in the first place he spoke both russian and french correctly though with a hard accent indeed he enjoyed especially among the ladies the reputation of being a very accomplished fellow in the second place he wore a reddish moustache a large gold pin set with a ruby a black satin tie and a very fashionable suit lastly he was young with a handsome self-satisfied face and fine muscular legs it was clear that he set the greatest store upon the latter and thought them beyond compare especially as regards the favour of the ladies consequently whether sitting or standing he always tried to exhibit them in the most favourable light in short he was a type of the young german russian whose main desire is to be thought perfectly gallant and gentlemanly in the little garden merriment reigned in fact the game of robbers never went better yet an incident occurred which came near to spoiling it seriosha was the robber and in pouncing upon some travellers he fell down and knocked his leg so badly against a tree that i thought the leg must be broken consequently though i was the gendarme and therefore bound to apprehend him i only asked him anxiously when i reached him if he had hurt himself very much nevertheless this threw him into a passion and made him exclaim with fists clenched and in a voice which showed by its faltering what pain he was enduring 
why whatever is the matter is this playing the game properly you ought to arrest me why on earth don't you do so this he repeated several times and then seeing volodya and the elder even who was taking the part of the travellers jumping and running about the path he suddenly threw himself upon them with a shout and loud laughter to effect their capture i cannot express my wonder and delight at this valiant behaviour of my hero in spite of the severe pain he had not only refrained from crying but had repressed the least symptom of suffering and kept his eye fixed upon the game shortly after this occurrence another boy ilinka grop joined our party we went upstairs and seriosha gave me an opportunity of still further appreciating and taking delight in his manly bravery and fortitude this was how it was ilinka was the son of a poor foreigner who had been under certain obligations to my grandpapa and now thought it incumbent upon him to send his son to us as frequently as possible yet if he thought that the acquaintance would procure his son any advancement or pleasure he was entirely mistaken for not only were we anything but friendly to ilinka but it was seldom that we noticed him at all except to laugh at him he was a boy of thirteen tall and thin with a pale bird-like face and a quiet good-tempered expression though poorly dressed he always had his head so thickly pomaded that we used to declare that on warm days it melted and ran down his neck when i think of him now it seems to me that he was a very quiet obliging and good-tempered boy but at the time i thought him a creature so contemptible that he was not worth either attention or pity upstairs we set ourselves to astonish each other with gymnastic tours de force ilinka watched us with a faint smile of admiration but refused an invitation to attempt a similar feat saying that he had no strength seriosha was extremely captivating his face and eyes glowed with laughter as he surprised us with tricks which we had never seen before he jumped over three chairs put together turned somersaults right across the room and finally stood on his head on a pyramid of tatishas dictionaries moving his legs about with such comical rapidity that it was impossible not to help bursting with merriment after this last trick he pondered for a moment blinking his eyes as usual and then went up to ilinka with a very serious face try and do that he said it is not really difficult ilinka observing that the general attention was fixed upon him blushed and said in an almost inaudible voice that he could not do the feat but what does he mean by doing nothing at all what a girl the fellow is he has just got to stand on his head and seriosha took him by the hand yes on your head at once this instant this instant everyone shouted as we ran upon ilinka and dragged him to the dictionaries despite his being visibly pale and frightened leave me alone you are tearing my jacket cried the unhappy victim but his exclamations of despair only encouraged us the more we were dying with laughter while the green jacket was bursting at every seam volodya and the eldest even took his head and placed it on the dictionaries while seriosha and i seized his poor thin legs his struggles had stripped them upwards to the knees and with boisterous laughter held them upright the youngest even superintending his general equilibrium suddenly a moment of silence occurred amid our boisterous laughter a moment during which nothing was to be heard in the room but the panting of the miserable ilinka it occurred to me at that moment that after all there was nothing so very comical and pleasant in all this 
now that's a boy cried seriosha giving ilinka a smack with his hand ilinka said nothing but made such desperate movements with his legs to free himself that his foot suddenly kicked seriosha in the eye with the result that letting go of ilinka's leg and covering the wounded member with one hand seriosha hit out at him with all his might with the other one of course ilinka's leg slipped down as sinking exhausted to the floor and half suffocated with tears he stammered out why should you bully me so the poor fellow's miserable figure with its streaming tears ruffled hair and crumpled trousers revealing dirty boots touched us a little and we stood silent and trying to smile seriosha was the first to recover himself what a girl what a baby he said giving ilinka a slight kick he can't take things in fun a bit well get up then you are an utter beast that's what you are said ilinka turning miserably away and sobbing oh oh would it still kick and show temper then cried seriosha seizing a dictionary and throwing it at the unfortunate boy's head apparently it never occurred to ilinka to take refuge from the missile he merely guarded his head with his hands well that's enough now added seriosha with a forced laugh you deserve to be hurt if you can't take things in fun now let's go downstairs i could not help looking with some compassion at the miserable creature on the floor as his face buried in the dictionary he lay there sobbing almost as though he were in a fit oh sergius i said why have you done this well you did it too besides i did not cry this afternoon when i knocked my leg and nearly broke it true enough i thought ilinka is a poor whining sort of a chap while seriosha is a boy a real boy never occurred to my mind that possibly poor ilinka was suffering far less from bodily pain than from the thought that five companions for whom he may have felt a genuine liking had for no reason at all combined to hurt and humiliate him i cannot explain my cruelty on this occasion why did i not step forward to comfort and protect him where was the pitifulness which often made me burst into tears at the sight of a young bird fallen from its nest or of a puppy being thrown over a wall or of a chicken being killed by the cook for soup can it be that the better instinct in me was overshadowed by my affection for seriosha and the desire to shine before so brave a boy if so how contemptible were both the affection and the desire they alone formed dark spots on the pages of my youthful recollections End of chapter nineteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty preparations for the party to judge from the extraordinary activity in the pantry the shining cleanliness which imparted such a new and festal guise to certain articles in the salon and drawing-room which i had long known as anything but resplendent and the arrival of some musicians whom prince ivan would certainly not have sent for nothing no small amount of company was to be expected that evening at the sound of every vehicle which chanced to pass the house i ran to the window leaned my head upon my arms and peered with impatient curiosity into the street at last a carriage stopped at our door and in the full belief that this must be the evans who had promised to come early 
i at once ran downstairs to meet them in the hall but instead of the evens i beheld from behind the figure of the footman who opened the door two female figures one tall and wrapped in a blue cloak trimmed with marten and the other one short and wrapped in a green shawl from beneath which a pair of little feet stuck into fur boots peeped forth without paying any attention to my presence in the hall although i thought it my duty on the appearance of these persons to salute them the shorter one moved towards the taller and stood silently in front of her thereupon the tall lady untied the shawl which enveloped the head of the little one and unbuttoned the cloak which hid her form until by the time that the footman had taken charge of these articles and removed the fur boots there stood forth from the amorphous chrysalis a charming girl of twelve dressed in a short muslin frock white pantaloons and smart black satin shoes around her white neck she wore a narrow black velvet ribbon while her head was covered with flaxen curls which so perfectly suited her beautiful face in front and her bare neck and shoulders behind that i would have believed nobody not even karl ivanitch if he or she had told me that they only hung so nicely because ever since the morning they had been screwed up in fragments of a moscow newspaper and then warmed with a hot iron to me it seemed as though she must have been born with those curls the most prominent feature in her face was a pair of unusually large half-veiled eyes which formed a strange but pleasing contrast to the small mouth her lips were closed while her eyes looked so grave that the general expression of her face gave one the impression that a smile was never to be looked for from her wherefore when a smile did come it was all the more pleasing trying to escape notice i slipped through the door of the salon and then thought it necessary to be seen pacing to and fro seemingly engaged in thought as though unconscious of the arrival of guests by the time however that the ladies had advanced to the middle of the salon i seemed suddenly to awake from my reverie and told them that grandmamma was in the drawing-room madame valakhin whose face pleased me extremely especially since it bore a great resemblance to her daughter's stroked my head kindly grandmamma seemed delighted to see sonetchka she invited her to come to her put back a curl which had fallen over her brow and looking earnestly at her said what a charming child sonetchka blushed smiled and indeed looked so charming that i myself blushed as i looked at her i hope you are going to enjoy yourself here my love said grandmamma pray be as merry and dance as much as ever you can see we have two bow for her already she added turning to madame valakim and stretching out her hand to me this coupling of sonetchka and myself pleased me so much that i blushed again feeling presently that my embarrassment was increasing and hearing the sound of carriages approaching i thought it wise to retire in the hall i encountered the princess kornikoff her son and an incredible number of daughters they had all of them the same face as their mother and were very ugly none of them arrested my attention they talked in shrill tones as they took off their cloaks and boas and laughed as they bustled about probably at the fact that there were so many of them etienne was a boy of fifteen tall and plump with a sharp face deep-set bluish eyes and very large hands and feet for his age likewise he was awkward and had a nervous unpleasing voice nevertheless he seemed very pleased with himself and was in my opinion a boy who could well bear being beaten with rods for a long time we confronted one another without speaking as we took stock of each other 
when the flood of dresses had swept past i made shift to begin a conversation by asking him whether it had not been very close in the carriage i don't know he answered indifferently i never ride inside it for it makes me feel sick directly and mamma knows that whenever we are driving anywhere at night-time i always sit on the box i like that for then one sees everything philip gives me the reins and sometimes the whip too and then the people inside get a regular well you know he added with a significant gesture it's splendid then master etienne said a footman entering the hall philip wishes me to ask you where you put the whip where i put it why i gave it back to him but he says that you did not well i laid it across the carriage lamps no sir he says that you did not do that either you had better confess that you took it and lashed it to shreds i suppose poor philip will have to make good your mischief out of his own pocket the footman who looked a grave and honest man seemed much put out by the affair and determined to sift it to the bottom on philip's behalf out of delicacy i pretended to notice nothing and turned aside but the other footman present gathered round and looked approvingly at the old servant hm well i did tear it in pieces at length confessed etienne shrinking from further explanations however i will pay for it did you ever hear anything so absurd he added to me as he drew me towards the drawing-room but excuse me sir how are you going to pay for it i know your ways of paying you have owed maria valericana twenty kopecks these eight months now and you have owed me something for two years and peter for hold your tongue will you shouted the young fellow pale with rage i shall report you for this oh you may do so said the footman yet it is not fair your highness he added with a peculiar stress on the title as he departed with the ladies wraps to the cloak-room we ourselves entered the salon quite right footman remarked someone approvingly from the hall behind us grandmamma had a peculiar way of employing now the second person singular now the second person plural in order to indicate her opinion of people when the young prince etienne went up to her she addressed him as you and altogether looked at him with such an expression of contempt that had i been in his place i should have been utterly crestfallen etienne however was evidently not a boy of that sort for he not only took no notice of her reception of him but none of her person either in fact he bowed to the company at large in a way which though not graceful was at least free from embarrassment sonetchka now claimed my whole attention i remember that as i stood in the salon with etienne and volodya at a spot whence we could both see and be seen by sonetchka i took great pleasure in talking very loud and all my utterances seemed to me both bold and comical and glancing towards the door of the drawing-room but that as soon as ever we happened to move to another spot whence we could neither see nor be seen by her i became dumb and thought the conversation had ceased to be enjoyable the rooms were now full of people among them as at all children's parties a number of elder children who wished to dance and enjoy themselves very much but who pretended to do everything merely in order to give pleasure to the mistress of the house when the evens arrived i found that instead of being as delighted as usual to meet seriosha i felt a kind of vexation that he should see and be seen by sonetchka End of chapter 20. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter 21 of Childhood by Leo Tolstoy. Translated by Charles James Hogarth 
eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty one before the mazurka hello volodya so we are going to dance to-night said seriosha issuing from the drawing-room and taking out of his pocket a brand-new pair of gloves i suppose it is necessary to put on gloves goodness what shall i do we have no gloves i thought to myself i must go upstairs and search about yet though i rummaged in every drawer i only found in one of them my green travelling mittens and in another a single lilac-coloured glove a thing which could be of no use to me firstly because it was very old and dirty secondly because it was much too large for me and thirdly and principally because the middle finger was wanting karl having long ago cut it off to wear over a sore nail however i put it on not without some diffident contemplation of the blank left by the middle finger and of the ink-stained edges round the vacant space if only natalia savishna had been here i reflected we should certainly have found some gloves i can't go downstairs in this condition yet if they ask me why i am not dancing what am i to say however i can't remain here either or they will be sending upstairs to fetch me what on earth am i to do and i wrung my hands what are you up to here asked volodya as he burst into the room go and engage a partner the dancing will be beginning directly volodya i said despairingly as i showed him my hand with two fingers thrust into a single finger of the dirty glove volodya you never thought of this of what he said impatiently oh of gloves he added with a careless glance at my hand that's nothing we can ask grandmamma what she thinks about it and without further ado he departed downstairs i felt a trifle relieved by the coolness with which he had met a situation which seemed to me so grave and hastened back to the drawing-room completely forgetful of the unfortunate glove which still adorned my left hand cautiously approaching grandmamma's armchair i asked her in a whisper grandmamma what are we to do we have no gloves what my love we have no gloves i repeated at the same time bending over towards her and laying both hands on the arm of her chair but what is that she cried as she caught hold of my left hand look my dear she continued turning to madame valakin see how smart this young man has made himself to dance with your daughter as grandmamma persisted in retaining hold of my hand and gazing with a mock air of gravity and interrogation at all around her curiosity was soon aroused and a general air of laughter ensued i should have been infuriated at the thought that seriosha was present to see this as i scowled with embarrassment and struggled hard to free my hand had it not been that somehow sonetchka's laughter and she was laughing to such a degree that the tears were standing in her eyes and the curls dancing about her lovely face took away my feeling of humiliation i felt that her laughter was not satirical but only natural and free so that as we laughed together and looked at one another there seemed to begin a kind of sympathy between us instead of turning out badly therefore the episode of the glove served only to set me at my ease among the dreaded circle of guests and to make me cease to feel oppressed with shyness the sufferings of shy people proceed only from the doubts which they feel concerning the opinions of their fellows no sooner are those opinions expressed whether flattering or the reverse than the agony disappears how lovely sonetchka looked when she was dancing a quadrille as my vis-a-vis with as her partner the loutish prince etienne how charmingly she smiled when en chaine she accorded me her hand 
how gracefully the curls around her head nodded to the rhythm and how naively she executed the jet assemble with her little feet in the fifth figure when my partner had to leave me for the other side and i counting the beats was getting ready to dance my solo she pursed her lips gravely and looked in another direction but her fears for me were groundless boldly i performed the chasse en avant and chasse en arrière glissade until when it came to my turn to move towards her and i with a comic gesture showed her the poor glove with its crumpled fingers she laughed heartily and seemed to move her tiny feet more enchantingly than ever over the parquet floor how well i remember how we formed the circle and how without withdrawing her hand from mine she scratched her little nose with her glove all this i can see before me still still can i hear the quadrille from the maids of the danube to which we danced that night the second quadrille i danced with sonetchka herself yet when we went to sit down together during the interval i felt overcome with shyness and as though i had nothing to say at last when my silence had lasted so long that i began to be afraid that she would think me a stupid boy i decided at all hazards to counteract such a notion vous êtes un habitant de moscou i began and on receiving an affirmative answer continued et moi je n'ai encore jamais fréquent la capitale with a particular emphasis on the word fréquent yet i felt that brilliant though this introduction might be as evidence of my profound knowledge of the french language i could not long keep up the conversation in that manner our turn for dancing had not yet arrived and silence again ensued between us i kept looking anxiously at her in the hope both of discerning what impression i had produced and of her coming to my aid where did you get that ridiculous glove of yours she asked me all of a sudden and the question afforded me immense satisfaction and relief i replied that the glove belonged to karl ivanitch and then went on to speak ironically of his appearance and to describe how comical he looked in his red cap and how he and his green coat had once fallen plump off a horse into a pond the quadrille was soon over yet why had i spoken ironically of poor karl ivanitch should i forsooth have sunk in sonetchka's esteem if on the contrary i had spoken of him with the love and respect which i undoubtedly bore him the quadrille ended sonetchka said thank you with as lovely an expression on her face as though i had really conferred upon her a favour i was delighted in fact i hardly knew myself for joy and could not think whence i derived such ease and confidence and even daring nothing in the world can abash me now i thought as i wandered carelessly about the salon i am ready for anything just then seriosha came and requested me to be his vis-a-vis -vis. very well i said i have no partner as yet but i can soon find one glancing round the salon with a confident eye i saw that every lady was engaged save one a tall girl standing near the drawing-room door yet a grown-up young man was approaching her probably for the same purpose as myself he was but two steps from her while i was at the further end of the salon doing a glissade over the polished floor i covered the intervening space and in a brave firm voice asked the favour of her hand in the quadrille smiling with a protecting air the young lady accorded me her hand and the tall young man was left without a partner i felt so conscious of my strength that i paid no attention to his irritation though i learnt later that he had asked somebody who the awkward untidy boy was who had taken away his lady from him end of chapter twenty one
Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Twenty Two of Childhood by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Charles James Hogarth, eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Twenty Two: The Mazurka afterwards the same young man formed one of the first couple in a mazurka he sprang to his feet took his partner's hand and then instead of executing the pas de basque which mimi had taught us glided forward till he arrived at a corner of the room stopped divided his feet turned on his heels and with a spring glided back again i who had found no partner for this particular dance and was sitting on the arm of grandmamma's chair thought to myself what on earth is he doing that is not what mimi taught us and there are the evens and etienne all dancing in the same way without the pas de basque ah and there is volodya too he too is adopting the new style and not so badly either and there is sonetchka the lovely one yes there she comes i felt immensely happy at that moment the mazurka came to an end and already some of the guests were saying good-bye to grandmamma she was evidently tired yet she assured them that she felt vexed at their early departure servants were gliding about with plates and trays among the dancers and the musicians were carelessly playing the same tune for about the thirteenth time in succession when the young lady whom i had danced with before and who was just about to join in another mazurka caught sight of me and with a kindly smile led me to sonetchka and one of the innumerable kornikoff princesses at the same time asking me rose or horty ah so it's you said grandmamma as she turned round in her armchair go and dance then my boy although i would fain have taken refuge behind the armchair rather than leave its shelter i could not refuse so i got up said rose and looked at sonetchka before i had time to realize it however a hand in a white glove laid itself on mine and the kornikoff girl stepped forth with a pleased smile and evidently no suspicion that i was ignorant of the steps of the dance i only knew that the pas de basque the only figure of it which i had been taught would be out of place however the strains of the mazurka falling upon my ears and imparting their usual impulse to my acoustic nerves which in their turn imparted their usual impulse to my feet i involuntarily and to the amazement of the spectators began executing on tiptoe the sole and fatal pas which i had been taught so long as we went straight ahead i kept fairly right but when it came to turning i saw that i must make preparations to arrest my course accordingly to avoid any appearance of awkwardness i stopped short with the intention of imitating the wheel about which i had seen the young man perform so neatly unfortunately just as i divided my feet and prepared to make a spring the princess kornikoff looked sharply round at my legs with such an expression of stupefied amazement and curiosity that the glance undid me instead of continuing to dance i remained moving my legs up and down on the same spot in a sort of extraordinary fashion which bore no relation whatever either to form or rhythm at last i stopped altogether every one was looking at me some with curiosity some with astonishment some with disdain and some with compassion grandmamma alone seemed unmoved you should not dance if you don't know the steps said papa's angry voice in my ear as pushing me gently aside he took my partner's hand completed the figures with her to the admiration of every one and finally led her back to her place 
the mazurka was at an end ah me what had i done to be punished so heavily everyone despises me and will always despise me i thought to myself the way is closed for me to friendship love and fame all all is lost why had volodya made signs to me which everyone saw yet which could in no way help me why had that disgusting princess looked at my legs why had sonetchka she was a darling of course yet why oh why had she smiled at that moment why had papa turned red and taken my hand can it be that he was ashamed of me oh it was dreadful alas if only mamma had been there she would never have blushed for her nikolinka how on the instant that dear image led my imagination captive i seemed to see once more the meadow before our house the tall lime-trees in the garden the clear pond where the ducks swam the blue sky dappled with white clouds the sweet-smelling ricks of hay how those memories i and many another quiet beloved recollection floated through my mind at that time end of chapter twenty two recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty three of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty three after the mazurka at supper the young man whom i have mentioned seated himself beside me at the children's table and treated me with an amount of attention which would have flattered my self-esteem had i been able after the occurrence just related to give a thought to anything beyond my failure in the mazurka however the young man seemed determined to cheer me up he jested called me old boy and finally since none of the elder folks were looking at us began to help me to wine first from one bottle and then from another and to force me to drink it off quickly by the time towards the end of supper that a servant had poured me out a quarter of a glass of champagne and the young man had straightway bid him fill it up and urged me to drink the beverage off at a draught i had begun to feel a grateful warmth diffusing itself through my body i also felt well disposed towards my kind patron and began to laugh heartily at everything suddenly the music of the grossvater dance struck up and every one rushed from the table my friendship with the young man had now outlived its day so that whereas he joined a group of the older folks i approached madame valakin to hear what she and her daughter had to say to one another just half an hour more sonetchka was imploring her impossible my dearest yet only to please me just this once sonetchka went on persuasively well what if i should be ill to-morrow through all this dissipation rejoined her mother and was incautious enough to smile there you do consent and we can stay after all exclaimed sonetchka jumping for joy what is to be done with such a girl said madame well run away and dance see she added on perceiving myself here is a cavalier ready waiting for you sonetchka gave me her hand and we darted off to the salon the wine added to sonetchka's presence and gaiety had at once made me forget all about the unfortunate end of the mazurka i kept executing the most splendid feats with my legs now imitating a horse as he throws out his hoofs in the trot now stamping like a sheep infuriated at a dog and all the while laughing regardless of appearances 
sonetchka also laughed unceasingly whether we were whirling round in a circle or whether we stood still to watch an old lady whose painful movements with her feet showed the difficulty she had in walking finally sonetchka nearly died of merriment when i jumped halfway to the ceiling in proof of my skill as i passed a mirror in grandmamma's boudoir and glanced at myself i could see that my face was all in a perspiration and my hair dishevelled the top-knot in particular being more erect than ever yet my general appearance looked so happy healthy and good-tempered that i felt wholly pleased with myself if i were always as i am now i thought i might yet be able to please people with my looks yet as soon as i glanced at my partner's face again and saw there not only the expression of happiness health and good temper which had just pleased me in my own but also a fresh and enchanting beauty besides i felt dissatisfied with myself again i understood how silly of me it was to hope to attract the attention of such a wonderful being as sonetchka i could not hope for reciprocity could not even think of it yet my heart was overflowing with happiness i could not imagine that the feeling of love which was filling my soul so pleasantly could require any happiness still greater or wish for more than that that happiness should never cease i felt perfectly contented my heart beat like that of a dove with the blood constantly flowing back to it and i almost wept for joy as we passed through the hall and peered into a little dark storeroom beneath the staircase i thought what bliss it would be if i could pass the rest of my life with her in that dark corner and never let anybody know that we were there it has been a delightful evening hasn't it i asked her in a low tremulous voice then i quickened my steps as much out of fear of what i had said as out of fear of what i had meant to imply yes very she answered and turned her face to look at me with an expression so kind that i ceased to be afraid i went on particularly since supper yet if you could only know how i regret i had nearly said how miserable i am at your going and to think that we shall see each other no more but why shouldn't we she asked looking gravely at the corner of her pocket-handkerchief and gliding her fingers over a lattice screen which we were passing every tuesday and friday i go with mamma to the iverskoy prospect i suppose you go for walks too sometimes well certainly i shall ask to go for one next tuesday and if they won't take me i shall go by myself even without my hat if necessary i know the way all right you know what i have just thought of she went on you know i call some of the boys who come to see us thou shall you and i call each other thou too wilt thou she added bending her head towards me and looking me straight in the eyes at this moment a more lively section of the grossvater dance began give me your hand i said under the impression that the music and din would drown my exact words but she smilingly replied thy hand not your hand yet the dance was over before i had succeeded in saying thou even though i kept conning over phrases in which the pronoun could be employed and employed more than once all that i wanted was the courage to say it wilt thou and thy hand sounded continually in my ears and caused in me a kind of intoxication i could hear and see nothing but sonetchka i watched her mother take her curls lay them flat behind her ears thus disclosing portions of her forehead and temples which i had not yet seen and wrap her up so completely in the green shawl that nothing was left visible but the tip of her nose indeed i could see that if her little rosy fingers had not made a small opening near her mouth she would have been unable to breathe 
finally i saw her leave her mother's arm for an instant on the staircase and turn and nod to us quickly before she disappeared through the doorway volodya the evens the young prince etienne and myself were all of us in love with sonetchka and all of us standing on the staircase to follow her with our eyes to whom in particular she had nodded i do not know but at the moment i firmly believed it to be myself in taking leave of the evens i spoke quite unconcernedly and even coldly to seriosha before i finally shook hands with him though he tried to appear absolutely indifferent i think he understood that from that day forth he had lost both my affection and his power over me as well as that he regretted it end of chapter twenty three recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty four of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty four in bed how could i have managed to be so long and so passionately devoted to seriosha i asked myself as i lay in bed that night he never either understood appreciated or deserved my love but sonetchka what a darling she is wilt thou thy hand i crept closer to the pillows imagined to myself her lovely face covered my head over with the bedclothes tucked the counterpane in on all sides and thus snugly covered lay quiet and enjoying the warmth until i became wholly absorbed in pleasant fancies and reminiscences if i stared fixedly at the inside of the sheet above me i found that i could see her as clearly as i had done an hour ago could talk to her in my thoughts and though it was a conversation of irrational tenor i derived the greatest delight from it seeing that thou and thine and for thee and to thee occurred in it incessantly these fancies were so vivid that i could not sleep for the sweetness of my emotion and felt as though i must communicate my superabundant happiness to some one the darling i said half aloud as i turned over then volodya are you asleep no he replied in a sleepy voice what's the matter i am in love volodya terribly in love with sonetchka well anything else he replied stretching himself oh but you cannot imagine what i feel just now as i lay covered over with the counterpane i could see her and talk to her so clearly that it was marvellous and do you know while i was lying thinking about her i don't know why it was but all at once i felt so sad that i could have cried volodya made a movement of some sort one thing only i wish for i continued and that is that i could always be with her and always be seeing her just that you are in love too i believe confess that you are it was strange but somehow i wanted every one to be in love with sonetchka and every one to tell me that they were so so that's how it is with you said volodya turning round to me well i can understand it i can see that you cannot sleep i remarked observing by his bright eyes that he was anything but drowsy well cover yourself over so and i pulled the bedclothes over him and then let us talk about her isn't she splendid if she were to say to me nikolinka jump out of the window or jump into the fire i should say yes i will do it at once and rejoice in doing it oh how glorious she is i went on picturing her again and again to my imagination and to enjoy the vision the better turned over on my side and buried my head in the pillows murmuring oh i want to cry volodya 
what a fool you are he said with a slight laugh then after a moment's silence he added i am not like you i think i would rather sit and talk with her ah then you are in love with her i interrupted and then went on Volodya, smiling tenderly kiss her fingers and eyes and lips and nose and feet kiss all of her how absurd i exclaimed from beneath the pillows ah you don't understand things said Volodya with contempt i do understand it's you who don't understand things and you talk rubbish too i replied half crying well there's nothing to cry about he concluded she is only a girl end of chapter twenty four recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty five of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty five the letter on the sixteenth of april nearly six months after the day just described papa entered our schoolroom and told us that that night we must start with him for our country house i felt a pang at my heart when i heard the news and my thoughts at once turned to mamma the cause of our unexpected departure was the following letter petrovskoye twelfth april only this moment that is at ten o'clock in the evening have i received your dear letter of the third of april but as usual i answer it at once fyodor brought it yesterday from town but as it was late he did not give it to mimi till this morning and mimi since i was unwell kept it from me all day i have been a little feverish in fact to tell the truth this is the fourth day that i have been in bed yet do not be uneasy i feel almost myself again now and if ivan vasilich should allow me i should think of getting up to-morrow on friday last i took the girls for a drive and close to the little bridge by the turning on to the high road the place which always makes me nervous the horses and carriage stuck fast in the mud well the day being fine i thought that we would walk a little up the road until the carriage should be extricated but no sooner had we reached the chapel than i felt obliged to sit down i was so tired and in this way half an hour passed while help was being sent for to get the carriage dug out i felt cold for i had only thin boots on and they had been wet through after luncheon too i had alternate cold and hot fits yet still continued to follow our ordinary routine when tea was over i sat down to the piano to play a duet with luboshka you would be astonished to hear what progress she has made but imagine my surprise when i found that i could not count the beats several times i began to do so yet always felt confused in my head and kept hearing strange noises in my ears i would begin one two three and then suddenly go on eight fifteen and so on as though i were talking nonsense and could not help it at last mimi came to my assistance and forced me to retire to bed that was how my illness began and it was all through my own fault the next day i had a good deal of fever and our good ivan vasilich came he has not left us since but promises soon to restore me to the world what a wonderful old man he is while i was feverish and delirious he sat the whole night by my bedside without once closing his eyes and at this moment since he knows i am busy writing he is with the girls in the divanaya he is with the girls in the divanaya and i can hear him telling them german stories 
and them laughing as they listened to him la belle flamande as you call her is now spending her second week here as my guest her mother having gone to pay a visit somewhere and she is most attentive and attached to me she even tells me her secret affairs under different circumstances her beautiful face good temper and youth might have made a most excellent girl of her but in the society in which according to her own account she moves she will be wasted the idea has more than once occurred to me that had i not had so many children of my own it would have been a deed of mercy to have adopted her luboshka had meant to write to you herself but she has torn up three sheets of paper saying i know what a quizzer papa always is if he were to find a single fault in my letter he would show it to everybody katenka is as charming as usual and mimi too is good but tiresome now let me speak of more serious matters you write to me that your affairs are not going well this winter and that you wish to break into the revenues of charabovska it seems to me strange that you should think it necessary to ask my consent surely what belongs to me belongs no less to you you are so kind-hearted dear that for fear of worrying me you conceal the real state of things but i can guess that you have lost a great deal at cards as also that you are afraid of my being angry at that yet so long as you can tide over this crisis i shall not think much of it and you need not be uneasy i have grown accustomed to no longer relying so far as the children are concerned upon your gains at play nor yet excuse me for saying so upon your income therefore your losses cause me as little anxiety as your gains give me pleasure what i really grieve over is your unhappy passion itself for gambling a passion which bereaves me of part of your tender affection and obliges me to tell you such bitter truths as god knows with what pain i am telling you now i never cease to beseech him that he may preserve us not from poverty for what is poverty but from the terrible juncture which would arise should the interests of the children which i am called upon to protect ever come into collision with our own hitherto god has listened to my prayers you have never yet overstepped the limit beyond which we should be obliged either to sacrifice property which would no longer belong to us but to the children or it is terrible to think of but the dreadful misfortune at which i hint is forever hanging over our heads yes it is the heavy cross which god has given us both to carry also you write about the children and come back to our old point of difference by asking my consent to your placing them at a boarding-school you know my objection to that kind of education i do not know dear whether you will accede to my request but i nevertheless beseech you by your love for me to give me your promise that never so long as i am alive nor yet after my death if god should see fit to separate us shall such a thing be done also you write that our affairs render it indispensable for you to visit st petersburg the lord go with you go and return as soon as possible without you we shall all of us be lonely spring is coming in beautifully we keep the door on to the terrace always open now while the path to the orangery is dry and the peach trees are in full blossom only here and there is there a little snow remaining the swallows are arriving and to-day luboshka brought me the first flowers the doctor says that in about three days time i shall be well again and able to take the open air and to enjoy the april sun now au revoir my dearest one do not be alarmed i beg of you either on account of my illness or on account of your losses at play end the crisis as soon as possible 
and then return here with the children for the summer i am making wonderful plans for our passing of it and i only need your presence to realize them the rest of the letter was written in french as well as in a strange uncertain hand on another piece of paper i transcribe it word for word do not believe what i have just written to you about my illness it is more serious than any one knows i alone know that i shall never leave my bed again do not therefore delay a minute in coming here with the children perhaps it may yet be permitted me to embrace and bless them it is my last wish that it should be so i know what a terrible blow this will be to you but you would have had to hear it sooner or later if not from me at least from others let us try to bear the calamity with fortitude and place our trust in the mercy of god let us submit ourselves to his will do not think that what i am writing is some delusion of my sick imagination on the contrary i am perfectly clear at this moment and absolutely calm nor must you comfort yourself with the false hope that these are the unreal confused feelings of a despondent spirit for i feel indeed i know since god has deigned to reveal it to me that i have now but a very short time to live will my love for you and the children cease with my life i know that that can never be at this moment i am too full of that love to be capable of believing that such a feeling which constitutes a part of my very existence can ever perish my soul can never lack its love for you and i know that that love will exist forever since such a feeling could never have been awakened if it were not to be eternal i shall no longer be with you yet i firmly believe that my love will cleave to you always and from that thought i glean such comfort that i await the approach of death calmly and without fear yes i am calm and god knows that i have ever looked and do look now upon death as no more than the passage to a better life yet why do tears blind my eyes why should the children lose a mother's love why must you my husband experience such a heavy and unlooked-for blow why must i die when your love was making life so inexpressibly happy for me but his holy will be done the tears prevent my writing more it may be that i shall never see you again i thank you my darling beyond all price for all the felicity with which you have surrounded me in this life soon i shall appear before god himself to pray that he may reward you farewell my dearest remember that if i am no longer here my love will none the less never and nowhere fail you farewell volodya farewell my pet farewell my benjamin my little nikolinka surely they will never forget me with this letter had come also a french one from mimi in which the latter said the sad circumstances of which she has written to you are but too surely confirmed by the words of the doctor yesterday evening she ordered the letter to be posted at once but thinking that she did so in delirium i waited until this morning with the intention of sealing and sending it then hardly had i done so when natalia nikolaevna asked me what i had done with the letter and told me to burn it if not yet dispatched she is forever speaking of it and saying that it will kill you do not delay your departure for an instant if you wish to see the angel before she leaves us pray excuse this scribble but i have not slept now for three nights you know how much i love her later i heard from natalia savishna who passed the whole of the night of the eleventh april at mamma's bedside that after writing the first part of the letter mamma laid it down upon the table beside her and went to sleep for a while 
i confess said natalia savishna that i too fell asleep in the armchair and let my knitting slip from my hands suddenly towards one o'clock in the morning i heard her saying something whereupon i opened my eyes and looked at her my darling was sitting up in bed with her hands clasped together and streams of tears gushing from her eyes it is all over now she said and hid her face in her hands i sprang to my feet and asked what the matter was ah natalia savishna if you could only know what i have just seen she said yet for all my asking she would say no more beyond commanding me to hand her the letter to that letter she added something and then said that it must be sent off directly from that moment she grew rapidly worse end of chapter fifteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty six of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty six what awaited us at the country house on the eighteenth of april we descended from the carriage at the front door of the house at petrovskoye all the way from moscow papa had been preoccupied and when volodya had asked him whether mamma was ill he had looked at him sadly and nodded an affirmative nevertheless he had grown more composed during the journey and it was only when we were actually approaching the house that his face again began to grow anxious until as he leaped from the carriage and asked foka who had run breathlessly to meet us how is natalia nikolaevna now his voice was trembling and his eyes had filled with tears the good old foka looked at us and then lowered his gaze again finally he said as he opened the hall door and turned his head aside it is the sixth day since she has not left her bed milka who as we afterwards learned had never ceased to whine from the day when mamma was taken ill came leaping joyfully to meet papa and barking a welcome as she licked his hands but papa put her aside and went first to the drawing-room and then into the divanaya from which a door led into the bedroom the nearer he approached the latter the more did his movements express the agitation that he felt entering the divanaya he crossed it on tiptoe seeming to hold his breath even then he had to stop and make the sign of the cross before he could summon up courage to turn the handle at the same moment mimi with dishevelled hair and eyes red with weeping came hastily out of the corridor ah peter alexandritch she said in a whisper and with a marked expression of despair then observing that papa was trying to open the door she whispered again not here this door is locked go round to the door on the other side oh how terribly all this wrought upon my imagination racked as it was by grief and terrible forebodings so we went round to the other side in the corridor we met the gardener akim who had been wont to amuse us with his grimaces but at this moment i could see nothing comical in him indeed the sight of his thoughtless indifferent face struck me more painfully than anything else in the maid-servants hall through which we had to pass two maids were sitting at their work but rose to salute us with an expression so mournful that i felt completely overwhelmed passing also through mimi's room papa opened the door of the bedroom and we entered the two windows on the right were curtained over and close to them was seated natalia savishna spectacles on nose and engaged in darning stockings 
she did not approach us to kiss me as she had been used to do but just rose and looked at us her tears beginning to flow afresh somehow it frightened me to see every one on beholding us begin to cry although they had been calm enough before on the left stood the bed behind a screen while in the great armchair the doctor lay asleep beside the bed a young fair-haired and remarkably beautiful girl in a white morning wrapper was applying ice to mamma's head mamma herself i could not see this girl was la belle flamande of which mamma had written and who afterwards played so important a part in our family life as we entered she disengaged one of her hands straightened the pleats of her dress on her bosom and whispered she is insensible though i was in an agony of grief i observed at that moment every little detail it was almost dark in the room and very hot while the air was heavy with the mingled scent of mint eau de cologne chamomile and hoffman's pastilles the latter ingredient caught my attention so strongly that even now i can never hear of it or even think of it without my memory carrying me back to that dark close room and all the details of that dreadful time mamma's eyes were wide open but they could not see us never shall i forget the terrible expression in them the expression of agonies of suffering then we were taken away when later i was able to ask natalia savishna about mamma's last moments she told me the following after you were taken out of the room my beloved one struggled for a long time as though someone were trying to strangle her then at last she laid her head back upon the pillow and slept softly peacefully like an angel from heaven i went away for a moment to see about her medicine and just as i entered the room again my darling was throwing the bedclothes from off her and calling for your papa he stooped over her but strength failed her to say what she wanted to all she could do was to open her lips and gasp my god my god the children the children i would have run to fetch you but ivan vasilitch stopped me saying that it would only excite her it were best not to do so then suddenly she stretched her arms out and dropped them again what she meant by that gesture the good god alone knows but i think that in it she was blessing you you the children whom she could not see god did not grant her to see her little ones before her death then she raised herself up did my love my darling yes just so with her hands and exclaimed in a voice which i cannot bear to remember mother of god never forsake them then the pain mounted to her heart and from her eyes it was plain that she suffered terribly my poor one she sank back upon the pillows tore the bedclothes with her teeth and wept wept yes and what then i asked but natalia savishna could say no more she turned away and cried bitterly mamma had expired in terrible agonies End of chapter 26. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter 27 of Childhood by Leo Tolstoy. Translated by Charles James Hogarth, 1869-1945. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter 27 grief late the following evening i thought i would like to look at her once more so conquering an involuntary sense of fear i gently opened the door of the salon and entered on tiptoe 
in the middle of the room on a table lay the coffin with wax candles burning all round it on tall silver candelabra in the further corner sat the chanter reading the psalms in a low monotonous voice i stopped at the door and tried to look but my eyes were so weak with crying and my nerves so terribly on edge that i could distinguish nothing every object seemed to mingle together in a strange blur the candles the brocade the velvet the great candelabra the pink satin cushion trimmed with lace the chaplet of flowers the ribbon cap and something of a transparent wax-like colour i mounted a chair to see her face yet where it should have been i could see only that wax-like transparent something i could not believe it to be her face yet as i stood gazing at it i at last recognised the well-known beloved features i shuddered with horror to realise that it was she why were those eyes so sunken what had laid that dreadful paleness upon her cheeks and stamped the black spot beneath the transparent skin on one of them why was the expression of the whole face so cold and severe why were the lips so white and their outlines so beautiful so majestic so expressive of an unnatural calm that as i looked at them a chill shudder ran through my hair and down my back somehow as i gazed an irrepressible incomprehensible power seemed to compel me to keep my eyes fixed upon that lifeless face i could not turn away and my imagination began to picture before me scenes of her active life and happiness i forgot that the corpse lying before me now the thing at which i was gazing unconsciously as at an object which had nothing in common with my dreams was she i fancied i could see her now here now there alive happy and smiling then some well-known feature in the face at which i was gazing would suddenly arrest my attention and in a flash i would recall the terrible reality and shudder though still unable to turn my eyes away then again the dreams would replace reality then again the reality put to flight the dreams at last the consciousness of both left me and for a while i became insensible how long i remained in that condition i do not know nor yet how it occurred i only know that for a time i lost all sense of existence and experienced a kind of vague blissfulness which though grand and sweet was also sad it may be that as it ascended to a better world her beautiful soul had looked down with longing at the world in which she had left us that it had seen my sorrow and pitying me had returned to earth on the wings of love to console and bless me with a heavenly smile of compassion the door creaked as the chanter entered who was to relieve his predecessor the noise awakened me and my first thought was that seeing me standing on the chair in a posture which had nothing touching in its aspect he might take me for an unfeeling boy who had climbed on to the chair out of mere curiosity wherefore i hastened to make the sign of the cross to bend down my head and to burst out crying as i recall now my impressions of that episode i find that it was only during my moments of self-forgetfulness that my grief was whole-hearted true both before and after the funeral i never ceased to cry and to look miserable yet i feel conscience-stricken when i recall that grief of mine seeing that always present in it there was an element of conceit of a desire to show that i was more grieved than any one else of an interest which i took in observing the effect produced upon others by my tears and of an idle curiosity leading me to remark mimi's bonnet and the faces of all present 
the mere circumstance that i despised myself for not feeling grief to the exclusion of everything else and that i endeavoured to conceal the fact shows that my sadness was insincere and unnatural i took a delight in feeling that i was unhappy and in trying to feel more so consequently this egotistic consciousness completely annulled any element of sincerity in my woe that night i slept calmly and soundly as is usual after any great emotion and awoke with my tears dried and my nerves restored at ten o'clock we were summoned to attend the pre-funeral requiem the room was full of weeping servants and peasants who had come to bid farewell to their late mistress during the service i myself wept a great deal made frequent signs of the cross and performed many genuflections but i did not pray with my soul and felt if anything almost indifferent my thoughts were chiefly centred upon the new coat which i was wearing a garment which was tight and uncomfortable and upon how to avoid soiling my trousers at the knees also i took the most minute notice of all present papa stood at the head of the coffin he was as white as snow and only with difficulty restrained his tears his tall figure in its black frock-coat his pale expressive face the graceful assured manner in which as usual he made the sign of the cross or bowed until he touched the floor with his hand a custom of the greek funeral rite or took the candle from the priest or went to the coffin all were exceedingly effective yet for some reason or another i felt a grudge against him for that very ability to appear effective at such a moment mimi stood leaning against the wall as though scarcely able to support herself her dress was all awry and covered with feathers and her cap cocked to one side while her eyes were red with weeping her legs trembling under her and she sobbed incessantly in a heart-rending manner as ever and again she buried her face in her handkerchief or her hands i imagine that she did this to check her continual sobbing without being seen by the spectators i remember too her telling papa the evening before that mamma's death had come upon her as a blow from which she could never hope to recover that with mamma she had lost everything but that the angel as she called my mother had not forgotten her when at the point of death since she had declared her wish to render her mimi's and katenka's fortunes secure for ever mimi had shed bitter tears while relating this and very likely her sorrow if not wholly pure and disinterested was in the main sincere luboshka in black garments and suffused with tears stood with her head bowed upon her breast she rarely looked at the coffin yet whenever she did so her face expressed a sort of childish fear katenka stood near her mother and despite her lengthened face looked as lovely as ever volodya's frank nature was frank also in grief he stood looking grave and as though he were staring at some object with fixed eyes then suddenly his lips would begin to quiver and he would hastily make the sign of the cross and bend his head again such of those present as were strangers i found intolerable in fact the phrases of condolence with which they addressed papa such for instance as that she is better off now she was too good for this world and so on awakened in me something like fury what right had they to weep over or to talk about her some of them in referring to ourselves called us orphans just as though it were not a matter of common knowledge that children who have lost their mother are known as orphans probably i thought they like to be the first to give us that name just as some people find pleasure in being the first to address a newly married girl as madame 
in a far corner of the room and almost hidden by the open door of the dining-room stood a grey old woman with bent knees with hands clasped together and eyes lifted to heaven she prayed only not wept her soul was in the presence of god and she was asking him soon to reunite her to her whom she had loved beyond all beings on the earth and whom she steadfastly believed that she would very soon meet again there stands one who sincerely loved her i thought to myself and felt ashamed the requiem was over they uncovered the face of the deceased and all present except ourselves went to the coffin to give her the kiss of farewell one of the last to take leave of her departed mistress was a peasant woman who was holding by the hand a pretty little girl of five whom she had brought with her god knows for what reason just at a moment when i chanced to drop my wet handkerchief and was stooping to pick it up again a loud piercing scream startled me and filled me with such terror that were i to live a hundred years more i should never forget it even now the recollection always sends a cold shudder through my frame i raised my head standing on the chair near the coffin was the peasant woman while struggling and fighting in her arms was the little girl and it was the same poor child who had screamed with such dreadful desperate frenzy as straining her terrified face away she still continued to gaze with dilated eyes at the face of the corpse i too screamed in a voice perhaps more dreadful still and ran headlong from the room only now did i understand the source of the strong oppressive smell which mingling with the scent of the incense filled the chamber while the thought that the face which but a few days ago had been full of freshness and beauty the face which i loved more than anything else in all the world was now capable of inspiring horror at length revealed to me as though for the first time the terrible truth and filled my soul with despair End of chapter twenty seven recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty eight of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty eight sad recollections mamma was no longer with us but our life went on as usual we went to bed and got up at the same times and in the same rooms breakfast luncheon and supper continued to be at their usual hours everything remained standing in its accustomed place nothing in the house or in our mode of life was altered only she was not there yet it seemed to me as though such a misfortune ought to have changed everything our old mode of life appeared like an insult to her memory it recalled too vividly her presence the day before the funeral i felt as though i should like to rest a little after luncheon and accordingly went to natalia savishna's room with the intention of installing myself comfortably under the warm soft down of the quilt on her bed when i entered i found natalia herself lying on the bed and apparently asleep but on hearing my footsteps she raised herself up removed the handkerchief which had been protecting her face from the flies and adjusting her cap sat forward on the edge of the bed since it frequently happened that i came to lie down in her room she guessed my errand at once and said so you have come to rest here a little have you lie down then my dearest oh but what is the matter with you natalia savishna i exclaimed as i forced her back again i did not come for that 
no you are tired yourself so you lie down i am quite rested now darling she said though i knew that it was many a night since she had closed her eyes yes i am indeed and have no wish to sleep again she added with a deep sigh i felt as though i wanted to speak to her of our misfortune since i knew her sincerity and love and thought it would be a consolation to me to weep with her natalia savishna i said after a pause as i seated myself upon the bed who would ever have thought of this the old woman looked at me with astonishment for she did not quite understand my question yes who would ever have thought of it i repeated ah my darling she said with a glance of tender compassion it is not only who would ever have thought of it but who even now would ever believe it i am old and my bones should long ago have gone to rest rather than that i should have lived to see the old master your grandpapa of blessed memory and prince nikola mikhailovitch and his two brothers and your sister amenka all buried before me though all younger than myself and now my darling to my never-ending sorrow gone home before me yet it has been god's will he took her away because she was worthy to be taken and because he has need of the good ones this simple thought seemed to me a consolation and i pressed closer to natalia she laid her hands upon my head as she looked upward with eyes expressive of a deep but resigned sorrow in her soul was a sure and certain hope that god would not long separate her from the one upon whom the whole strength of her love had for many years been concentrated yes my dear she went on it is a long time now since i used to nurse and fondle her and she used to call me natasha she used to come jumping upon me and caressing and kissing me and say my nashik my darling my ducky and i used to answer jokingly well my love i don't believe that you do love me you will be a grown-up young lady soon and going away to be married and will leave your nashik forgotten then she would grow thoughtful and say i think i had better not marry if my nashik cannot go with me for i mean never to leave her yet alas she has left me now who was there in the world she did not love yes my dearest it must never be possible for you to forget your mamma she was not a being of earth she was an angel from heaven when her soul has entered the heavenly kingdom she will continue to love you and to be proud of you even there but why do you say when her soul has entered the heavenly kingdom i asked i believe it is there now no my dearest replied natalia as she lowered her voice and pressed herself yet closer to me her soul is still here and she pointed upwards she spoke in a whisper but with such an intensity of conviction that i too involuntarily raised my eyes and looked at the ceiling as though expecting to see something there before the souls of the just enter paradise they have to undergo forty trials for forty days and during that time they hover around their earthly home a russian popular legend she went on speaking for some time in this strain speaking with the same simplicity and conviction as though she were relating common things which she herself had witnessed and to doubt which could never enter into any one's head i listened almost breathlessly and though i did not understand all she said i never for a moment doubted her word yes my darling she is here now and perhaps looking at us and listening to what we are saying concluded natalia raising her head she remained silent for a while at length she wiped away the tears which were streaming from her eyes looked me straight in the face and said in a voice trembling with emotion ah it is through many trials that god is leading me to him why indeed am i still here 
whom have i to live for whom have i to love you not love us then i asked sadly and half choking with my tears yes god knows that i love you my darling but to love any one as i loved her that i cannot do she could say no more but turned her head aside and wept bitterly as for me i no longer thought of going to sleep but sat silently with her and mingled my tears with hers presently foka entered the room but on seeing our emotion and not wishing to disturb us stopped short at the door do you want anything my good foka asked natalia as she wiped away her tears if you please half a pound of currants four pounds of sugar and three pounds of rice for the kucha cakes partaken of by the mourners at a russian funeral yes in one moment said natalia as she took a pinch of snuff and hastened to her drawers all traces of the grief aroused by our conversation disappeared on the instant that she had duties to fulfil for she looked upon those duties as of paramount importance but why four pounds she objected as she weighed the sugar on a steel-yard three and a half would be sufficient and she withdrew a few lumps how is it too that though i weighed out eight pounds of rice yesterday more is wanted now no offence to you foka but i am not going to waste rice like that i suppose vanka is glad that there is confusion in the house right now for he thinks that nothing will be looked after but i am not going to have any careless extravagance with my master's goods did one ever hear of such a thing eight pounds well i have nothing to do with it he says it is all gone that's all hm. Hm. well there it is let him take it i was struck by the sudden transition from the touching sensibility with which she had just been speaking to me to this petty reckoning and captiousness yet thinking it over afterwards i recognized that it was merely because in spite of what was lying on her heart she retained the habit of duty and that it was the strength of that habit which enabled her to pursue her functions as of old her grief was too strong and too true to require any pretence of being unable to fulfil trivial tasks nor would she have understood that any one could so pretend vanity is a sentiment so entirely at variance with genuine grief yet a sentiment so inherent in human nature that even the most poignant sorrow does not always drive it wholly forth vanity mingled with grief shows itself in a desire to be recognized as unhappy or resigned and this ignoble desire an aspiration which for all that we may not acknowledge it is rarely absent even in cases of the utmost affliction takes off greatly from the force the dignity and the sincerity of grief natalia savishna had been so sorely smitten by her misfortune that not a single wish of her own remained in her soul she went on living purely by habit having handed over the provisions to foka and reminded him of the refreshments which must be ready for the priest she took up her knitting and seated herself by my side again the conversation reverted to the old topic and we once more mourned and shed tears together these talks with natalia i repeated every day for her quiet tears and words of devotion brought me relief and comfort soon however a parting came three days after the funeral we returned to moscow and i never saw her again grandmamma received the sad tidings only on our return to her house and her grief was extraordinary at first we were not allowed to see her since for a whole week she was out of her mind and the doctors were afraid for her life not only did she decline all medicine whatsoever but she refused to speak to anybody or to take nourishment and never closed her eyes in sleep 
sometimes as she sat alone in the armchair in her room she would begin laughing and crying at the same time with a sort of tearless grief or else relapse into convulsions and scream out dreadful incoherent words in a horrible voice it was the first dire sorrow which she had known in her life and it reduced her almost to distraction she would begin accusing first one person and then another of bringing this misfortune upon her and rail at and blame them with the most extraordinary virulence finally she would rise from her armchair pace the room for a while and end by falling senseless to the floor once when i went to her room she appeared to be sitting quietly in her chair yet with an air which struck me as curious though her eyes were wide open their glance was vacant and meaningless and she seemed to gaze in my direction without seeing me suddenly her lips parted slowly in a smile and she said in a touchingly tender voice come here then my dearest one come here my angel thinking that it was myself she was addressing i moved towards her but it was not i whom she was beholding at that moment oh my love she went on if only you could know how distracted i have been and how delighted i am to see you once more i understood then that she believed herself to be looking upon mamma and halted where i was they told me you were gone she concluded with a frown but what nonsense as if you could die before me and she laughed a terrible hysterical laugh only those who can love strongly can experience an overwhelming grief yet their very need of loving sometimes serves to throw off their grief from them and to save them the moral nature of man is more tenacious of life than the physical and grief never kills after a time grandmamma's power of weeping came back to her and she began to recover her first thought when her reason returned was for us children and her love for us was greater than ever we never left her armchair and she would talk of mamma and weep softly and caress us nobody who saw her grief could say that it was consciously exaggerated for its expression was too strong and touching yet for some reason or another my sympathy went out more to natalia savishna and to this day i am convinced that nobody loved and regretted mamma so purely and sincerely as did that simple-hearted affectionate being with mamma's death the happy time of my childhood came to an end and a new epoch the epoch of my boyhood began but since my memories of natalia savishna who exercised such a strong and beneficial influence upon the bent of my mind and the development of my sensibility belong rather to the first period i will add a few words about her and her death before closing this portion of my life i heard later from people in the village that after our return to moscow she found time hang very heavy on her hands although the drawers and shelves were still under her charge and she never ceased to arrange and rearrange them to take things out and to dispose of them afresh she sadly missed the din and bustle of the seignorial mansion to which she had been accustomed from her childhood up consequently grief the alteration in her mode of life and her lack of activity soon combined to develop in her a malady to which she had always been more or less subject scarcely more than a year after mamma's death dropsy showed itself and she took to her bed i can imagine how sad it must have been for her to go on living still more to die alone in that great empty house at petrovskoye with no relations or any one near her every one there esteemed and loved her but she had formed no intimate friendships in the place and was rather proud of the fact 
that was because enjoying her master's confidence as she did and having so much property under her care she considered that intimacies would lead to culpable indulgence and condescension consequently and perhaps also because she had really nothing in common with the other servants she kept them all at a distance and used to say that she recognized neither kinsman nor godfather in the house and would permit of no exceptions with regard to her master's property instead she sought and found consolation in fervent prayers to god yet sometimes in those moments of weakness to which all of us are subject and when man's best solace is the tears and compassion of his fellow-creatures she would take her old dog mosca on to her bed and talk to it and weep softly over it as it answered her caresses by licking her hands with its yellow eyes fixed upon her when mosca began to whine she would say as she quieted it enough enough i know without thy telling me that my time is near a month before her death she took out of her chest of drawers some fine white calico white cambric and pink ribbon and with the help of the maid-servants fashioned the garments in which she wished to be buried next she put everything on her shelves in order and handed the bailiff an inventory which she had made out with scrupulous accuracy all that she kept back was a couple of silk gowns an old shawl and grandpapa's military uniform things which had been presented to her absolutely and which thanks to her care and orderliness were in an excellent state of preservation particularly the handsome gold embroidery on the uniform just before her death again she expressed a wish that one of the gowns a pink one should be made into a chamber robe for volodya that the other one a many-coloured gown should be made into a similar garment for myself and that the shawl could go to luboshka as for the uniform it was to devolve either to volodya or to myself according as the one or the other of us should first become an officer all the rest of her property save only forty roubles which she set aside for her commemorative rites and to defray the cost of her burial was to pass to her brother a person with whom since he lived a dissipated life in a distant province she had had no intercourse during her lifetime when eventually he arrived to claim the inheritance and found that its sum total only amounted to twenty-five roubles in notes he refused to believe it and declared that it was impossible that his sister a woman who for sixty years had had sole charge in a wealthy house as well as all her life had been penurious and averse to giving away even the smallest thing should have left no more yet it was a fact though natalia's last illness lasted for two months she bore her sufferings with truly christian fortitude never did she fret or complain but as usual appealed continually to god an hour before the end came she made her final confession received the sacrament with quiet joy and was accorded extreme unction then she begged forgiveness of every one in the house for any wrong she might have done them and requested the priest to send us word of the number of times she had blessed us for our love of her as well as of how in her last moments she had implored our forgiveness if in her ignorance she had ever at any time given us offence yet a thief have i never been never have i used so much as a piece of thread that was not my own such was the one quality which she valued in herself dressed in the cap and gown prepared so long beforehand and with her head resting upon the cushion made for the purpose she conversed with the priest up to the very last moment until suddenly recollecting that she had left him nothing for the poor she took out ten roubles and asked him to distribute them in the parish 
lastly she made the sign of the cross lay down and expired pronouncing with a smile of joy the name of the almighty she quitted life without a pang and so far from fearing death welcomed it as a blessing how often do we hear that said and how seldom is it a reality natalia savishna had no reason to fear death for the simple reason that she died in a sure and certain faith and in strict obedience to the commands of the gospel her whole life had been one of pure disinterested love of utter self-negation had her convictions been of a more enlightened order her life directed to a higher aim would that pure soul have been the more worthy of love and reverence she accomplished the highest and best achievement in this world she died without fear and without repining they buried her where she had wished to lie near the little mausoleum which still covers mamma's tomb the little mound beneath which she sleeps is overgrown with nettles and burdock and surrounded by a black railing but i never forget when leaving the mausoleum to approach that railing and to salute the plot of earth within by bowing reverently to the ground sometimes too i stand thoughtfully between the railing and the mausoleum and sad memories pass through my mind once the idea came to me as i stood there did providence unite me to those two beings solely in order to make me regret them my life long end of chapter twenty eight recording by expatriate in bangor maine end of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five